0: Hi everyone, welcome to the Tech Entrepreneur on a Mission podcast. My name is Ton Dobbe and I'm the founder of Value Inspiration and the author of The Remarkable Effect. I envision a world where every B2B SaaS startup succeeds because they're creating software that customers would miss if they were gone. And here's why. Research consistently shows that 90% of all startups fail, and that's bad. What's worse, however, is that 75% of SaaS scale-ups fail? Companies that are supposed to have product-market fit. Far too few scale-ups create the traction they aspire for and fail for the wrong reasons. And I believe this should stop. And hence, I created my business. And the goal that I have with this podcast is twofold. First, to inspire new forms of value creation by sharing compelling ideas and stories about the potential that we can unlock when technology and people blend in the right way. Secondly share experiences from tech entrepreneurs like you about what it requires to create a remarkable software business and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so. The guest on my podcast today is Martin Tobias, founder and CEO of Dimenco. We have to avoid
1: that we're becoming a gadget. If you are becoming a gadget, make sure that you earn money for two years, sell the company and go sit on an island. That's not sustainable. You, know? you have to overcome the fact that you're not a gadget, but you really add something to the value proposition of the user. And I think that's something that we continuously work on every day, because if we are not able to prove that, yeah, then you have a very short
0: life as a technology. This is Martin. He's an experienced strategy and business development manager with extensive knowledge and interest in entrepreneurial high-tech environments. He received his master's in strategic management in 2006 and then worked at several business development and strategic leadership positions within Philips. In 2010, he co-founded Dimenco, where he acts as the CEO, and successfully exited the company in 2015 and then let their management buy in again in 2019. Dimenco has been leading the spatial visualization market since 2010. Their mission is to push the boundaries to achieve the dream of simulated reality. They unite hardware, software and technology to deliver fast, rich and natural three-dimensional experiences. No wearables required simulated reality brings presence to what can't be present and that inspired me and hence i invited martin to my podcast we explore the transformation in how we prefer to interact with technology and what is standing in the way of meeting that need martin shares his vision about creating experiences we cannot distinguish from reality he talks about his lessons learned in creating scale and standardization to achieve his ambitious goals last but not least shares what it takes in mindset and style to create a business the world talks about. By listening to this podcast, you will learn four things. Firstly, why more is not always better, and how doing less can actually create unexpected breakthroughs. Secondly, why a design goal for your SaaS product should be to become normal. Thirdly, that it's good for your customers to love your product when they see it, but that is really about the question, What's Beyond Loving It? And fourthly, why you should stop believing that you're the next unicorn. Hi, Martin. Thank you for making the time available today and being the guest on the podcast. Yeah, thanks. Great to be here. Glad you could make the time available because yeah, we spoke about it just before we started. But the reason why I started this podcast was primarily for scenarios and offerings that what Dimenko really stands for is blending together technology and people in the right way to do things we've never been able to do before. That's what I saw when I spoke to your, I think it's the CTO, and he got me totally excited about the product. So you had to be on the podcast. But before we started talking about the company that you run, that you've co-founded and that you run as a CEO, if you would have to describe yourself as a CEO, or as a person, what are two or three characteristics?
1: Authenticity, I think is really important. Creativity, and I think I'm really a people person i think i really care about my team and about the people that drive actually and do actually to work in the company
0: very important yeah yeah exactly yeah yeah i mean it's very interesting combination it's a combination that i don't hear a lot but again that makes people unique and that makes companies unique as well so dimenko was started what i saw on linkedin is in 2010 what was the founding idea well it started for me personally
1: in 2006 2007, when I joined the Philips incubation team, so Philips nowadays is a health and well-being company, was focused on display technology, and they were focusing on display technology that you could see 3D without glasses. I joined that internal incubator or venture within Philips in 2006. There were a lot of people working on that technology, but in 2009, Philips actually decided to discontinue that activity, mostly because it was burning a lot of cash. There was the economic downturn at that time. And Philips was moving more to a health and well-being company. So it didn't fit in their pure strategic focus area. So they actually let go most of the people. Long story short, myself and three engineers actually were able to actually spin off that venture from Philips and start our own business. And that's how we actually started in 2010.
0: Yeah. And then what was the problem that you saw in the market that there was screaming to be solved?
1: Well, it actually starts from how you observed the world as you currently do. Well, not when you look at a screen, but if you look, let's say, beside your screen, the world is 3D. And that's how everybody observes the world. And that's actually what we try to deliver. And that's also what we think is a natural way to provide to the human, to the user. That actually was our motivation that we said, well, actually every user should see a 3D image because that's also how you observe the world in real
0: life. Mm -hmm. And what if we do? I mean, if I'm currently looking at a 2D screen, it's perfectly working. What are scenarios where this is going to make a massive difference?
1: Well, I think what we strongly believe is that you can create actually a feeling of presence without being really present, without having that product having presence. So a depth cue and the fact that you can look around an object gives you just that feeling of that realism. And everybody's always continuously looking for realism. Why are they adding more pixels? Why are they adding more color? Realistic color imagery is because they want to get that realistic experience and in our opinion realism a key point of that is that 3d effect
0: yeah exactly looking at where you are today i mean with 12 years down the road product is available it's a combination of hard and software what are typical scenarios where this is really coming to life and is it a consumer product or a business product
1: So initially it's now focused mostly on prosumers. So what you see is that Acer has launched a laptop with our technology, and they focus on designers, creators, engineers, where typically you have that 3D information needed to understand a product or a complex situation much better. Another customer of ours, C-Space, actually uses it for education. And that's for K-12, K-12 to K-16. That's where actually they have proved that this technology actually helps Students learn quicker, faster, and are more motivated to learn actually than looking at a, let's say, boring, we're a bit biased, boring 2D picture.
0: Okay. Is that also the connection possibly to initiatives like Meta? Yes. Yeah, so the it, Metaverse? It,
1: it, yeah, Meta is doing the same. They do it with glasses or something wearable, says. So we strongly believe that it's never a consumer choice to put something on your hand to have an immersive experience. So we believe that it's a consumer choice to have that fully freedom of movement, to be fully socially and active and to know your surrounding. But in essence, what we do is creating a metaverse on or experience of the metaverse on a normal LCD display. Wow. I'd love to see that at some point in time. Yeah, so seeing is believing in that sense.
0: Yeah. I mean, I wrote a book called The Remarkable Effect and I can imagine when people see it that it is like, the jaw drop like what the heck is this
1: <laughs> exactly yeah we always say that's yeah. wow effect yeah wow that's
0: what yeah yeah exactly i mean i look at you yeah, looking at your website and seeing that the yeah how the user is interacting with the screen with all the gestures and so on and yeah really becoming one almost with the world but that is exactly of course- so what we do is because we can actually get an
1: object out of the screen we can also combine it with gesture or with Interaction, so we can actually literally pick up a virtual object from the screen and interact with it, and that again contributes to what we believe is we want to create an experience that you cannot distinguish from reality, and that's what we try to do every day uh, in this office.
0: It must be extremely hard, I think. Yeah, that's a good spin. I mean, at the end, so I mean, we, we talked about well the big idea, the problem in the market, and what sparked the idea, which of course came from Philips, but developing this over time, like. Where did you start? Did it start with the software? Did it start with the hardware? I mean, how do you, yeah, something complex like this that hasn't been done before, which is, of course, that's the novelty part. Yeah, what have been very important choices that you've made over the last, yeah, 10 years? So it started with a, well, the pure technology is an optical
1: layer in front of the display. And maybe, you know, these old flipping cards, like when you, you know, when you screw with your nails, you feel that structure. A simplified let's lenticular cards, that structure is actually being applied on an LCD. That's the yeah. basic technology that was developed at Philips and where we still are building further on. But that you have to combine with image processing, with calibration, with machine vision, and then also with software and content and rendering algorithms. Yeah. So the complexity is to bring everything together and make a final solution. If you see where we started when we in 2010 is what we called multi view that actually meant that we were able to create a 3d display where you don't need any glasses but multiple people could see a 3d image the downside of that technology was that at certain places in the display a person could not see a 3d image so people were always wiggling in front of the display it was a bit funny to see but that initially really we thought that that was the way forward and that over time we would solve that issue but that Let's say in 2016, 2017, we actually concluded that would not be possible or not at mm-hmm. this stage. Why is that not possible? It's a bit technical, but it's you need so much pixels to distribute the light that that is not currently possible on either, even on an 8K screen. So in 2018, we actually decided to move away from that well. ID and we moved to combining our technology with eye tracking. That means that our technology is now single user which it has its downside, but we track your eyes and find that way you always have that perfect 3D picture. And the benefit of that is because we track your eyes, we can also change the perspective of what you see. So when you move in front of the display, the object actually stays still, but you can actually look around an object. And that effect is of course really nice and gives much more realism. So that is one of the biggest choices we've made during time. We also renamed our technology. And the reason we did that is because three D at a certain moment, eh, because in two thousand ten everybody bought a TV with three D glasses, but in essence it had a very bad name. It was really pushed by the TV industry, yeah. But there was no content. The quality was quite bad, and people didn't just like the glasses. So when we were still pushing for let's say three D without glasses, three D was a bit had a bad name, and we were not able to drive that technology. So since 2018-19, we actually said, well, you know, we have to. To write the XR wave, like VR, AR. So we nowadays call our technology simulated reality, SR in short, and that's also how we market and we position our technology.
0: Well, we can talk about that for some time. Let's start <laughs> it for, for now. But so I'm not sure. Well, I haven't I haven't done my research whether there's any competition in this area, but what are you doing in this space to create what have you done to create what I call defensible differentiation? Yeah, so
1: I think we work still closely with Philips and their IP. So we have a quite good IP mechanism. But more importantly, you need to create scale and standardization. Yeah. And that's what we're actually working on. So for example, our business model is to license our technology to OEMs. Acer is the first OEM that is doing that. And as you know, probably the Intel inside sticker, which is on in the laptop. We do the same. We have the built-on SR sticker that a OEM has to put on the laptop, which is recognizable for the consumer. It doesn't compete with the OEM itself, but it creates some kind of standard in the market. And that's what yeah. we're trying to push with multiple OEMs.
0: Okay. Got you. It's interesting how every vendor always goes for a different way of you know, to create a differentiation. This is just an example, again, of a great product and technology-wise keeping it going, but on the other hand, also ensure that the market is adopting it faster than. Than anyone else, and I think the OEM route there is a very good one. So, I mean, how do you well? We, we talked about it a little before we started, but this is a combination of hardware, software. What is the essence of the menco Is it more a software company? Is it more a hardware company? And where? How do you make decisions yet to not blur things?
1: Yeah. So we started mostly as a hardware company, and we're moving yeah. more towards a software platform company. The reason yeah. is that although we still do a lot of development in hardware. We're slowly moving our hardware manufacturing to third parties. And by that, the OEMs can actually buy or are buying components from a third party. And we are moving more into a platform and the supporting software. We will always be integrated in the hardware, but we're trying to get a supply chain and partners that actually can take over that role for a big part.
0: And did that decision come? I mean, yeah, why did you decide to go that direction? Because of course, you're always at these points where you can go left and right. What drove the decision to go more the software platform route?
1: Well, I think if you, so we focus on laptops, monitors, typical consumer products, and consumer products do not have much margin. So if you add a lot of complexity in supply chain, which would yeah. probably happen if you would be in that hardware part, then the cost would go up and then your, let's say your addressable market would be much lower. So that's why we really chose, okay, let's go to see if we can enable the hardware or and manufacturers that are already doing this or similar activities yep. and we can then go by the software route which seems like a more logical route there.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's the typical decision decision that you focus on like where really where you want to develop your ip that makes you unique and kind of outsource all the other things to people that actually where that where it's the core business of them. Exactly. I can understand that, yeah. I mean in the hardware business it's always been a Super, super low, low, low margin. Not a business to really be in. Beyond the decision to go from hardware more towards the software platform, what has been another decision that appeared to be really important for the success you have right now?
1: As I said, the rebranding was an important decision. And the technology decision to go into, let's say, the single user with eye tracker. That has been crucial for our current success and the scaling. So I think these are the two most important points, I think.
0: Yeah, yeah, I can understand that point. I mean, I understand the rebranding, typically getting the perception in the, in the well, if the perception is wrong and then it has, it has the people or the consumer, that's never a good thing. But the one around the user that is about, yeah, compromising versus going really the wow factor, right? Oh, yeah, so I think
1: that, that's a very good point. So I think what I always say internal, we have to avoid that we're becoming a gadget. If you are becoming a gadget, make sure that you earn money for two years, sell the company and go sit on an island, that's not sustainable. You, know, you have to overcome the fact that you're not a gadget, but you really add something to the value proposition of the user. And I think that's something that we continuously work on every day because if we are not able to prove that, yeah, then you have a very short life as a technology.
0: Let me make a small interruption here. Martin just made an excellent remark about the mindset that drives the success of his business. It's not about how cool the technology is, it's about how valuable the technology is in the eyes of the user. It's about the outcome, the difference the product will make in the life of that user. This is a trait Remarkable Technology Companies master. They create a strong vision about the change in the world people want to be part of. Then they realize they can't please everyone, and then create something that's valuable and desirable. Not a nice to have, but a must have. And You can master these traits as well. In the first step, simply read my book. I've made the electronic version available for free. Just visit theremarkableeffect.com to grab your copy and the inspiration will spark in the next 10 minutes. Back to the interview. Yeah, exactly. How do you evolve this in this particular space? You mean what the next steps are or? Yeah, I mean, how do you keep that user? I mean, how do you keep it sticky for users? Because I mean, the moment you see it for the first time, that's the wow moment. And it's like, I want to have this. Then you start using it and then it becomes normal. And I mean, I think in this world, it's like expectations and norms quickly change. Yes, but I think
1: if it becomes normal, I think that would be the goal for us. So if everybody, every user in the world would say, this is a normal way of interacting and yeah, yeah. using a display, yeah, that would be a holy grail for us. Then you don't have yeah. to be, because novelty also creates a niche market. We actually have the ambition that every display becomes a 3D display, because we believe that's the most natural way to interact with content then
0: Do you foresee over time that you possibly go verticalize this more by you kind of zoom in specific use cases in, well, with this experience at the background? Yeah. So
1: when we started, I said, well, we look at product design and designers, engineers, but we also look at gaming. So gaming is, of course, all the games are already made in 3D. So they're quite easily portable to our system. And really, this creates a really nice effect when you play a game, also for a longer period. 30 we're doing video conferencing. So now we're talking and seeing each other in 2D. But I think it would be much more realistic if you would see each other in three D. Yeah. So we are definitely looking at these verticals and application areas where we believe our technology can have the biggest impact. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Fascinating. What has been the hardest nut to crack for you in running the business and in growing it to where it is today?
1: Well, I think the hardest nut is to really find the final value proposition. So I think the everybody if people see our technology, everybody loves it. I think that's a statement I can, say, that I can make. The question is, what's beyond loving it? You know, what's beyond how can we really show that this adds value to the user? I think that has been always the hardest nut to crack. So make sure that you're not the gadget or not that, hey, I'm going to put it in a stand and give that wow factor and then people move away again. But how can we really make sure that this technology makes sense for the user? I think that was the hardest nut for us to crack.
0: So what did you do? Assuming you've cracked it. Yeah.
1: So, well, I think that's an answer that I can only give you maybe in two years from now to see if it's really being adopted. I think one of the things that has helped us a lot, and if I'm going back to 2010, if we had a display and wanted to have like a spinning logo in 3D on our display, we had to send it to India. Some people in India would make a logo and three weeks later we get a spinning logo. So the amount of effort to create 3D content was enormous. And that was a really big hurdle for adaptation from our customers. Nowadays, everything is 3D, and so you know all the design programs are 3D, games are programmed 3D, user interface are 3D, and then with the support of the XR market, like what's happening in VR and AR, there's a huge amount of content actually available. And yeah. that actually has helped us, that acceptance from the consumer on 3D content and the availability of 3D content, that has
0: really helped us to crack that up. Yeah, so there's also a moment of timing at the end. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yesterday we had in the CEO mastermind, we had a discussion around what's most important. And someone kind of talked about this TED talk about, well, what's the biggest success factor for software companies or for, for startups to succeed? And it's timing at the end, which yeah, obviously it's the wave you're riding in your back. And especially when there's one or two ways joining up, that's what the essence of our whole book is all about. Then things can really take off. Yeah, as long um, as you recognize the wave. That's the most exa- Exactly. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's maybe another question that i have you know there's so many things so many components first of all i mean you're a software company there's a lot of things to kind of oversee but you are combining hardware and software like where do you put your sensors so if you look indeed we have a quite complex
1: product or proposition because we deal with hardware and hardware is even from gpus cpus to complex optical structures to algorithms to align optical structures and then to, let's say, more the software where we have the platform, but also the rendering algorithms and, op- and the image processing algorithms. And on top of that, we have even the ecosystem that we have to build that we all have all these applications that we're building. And that, yeah. I think, that's the biggest challenge for us. Huh? So you have to keep a lot of balls in the air, as we say in the Netherlands, I think. So which ball can you drop and which one not? And it's, it's continuously juggling in the air yeah. and to make sure that every ball is going higher at the end because you cannot drop one and then just focus on two others because then. They are all connected, and they all have to move forward.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that, well, I mean, you can talk for hours on that particular topic, and it's always different, of course. Yeah, but it's it's, it's it's also a have lot you about... have you got any principles for that or any? Yeah, how do you make? How do you ensure that you make decisions. And you make them fast enough.
1: Yeah, so it's often also you're driven by your customers and your customer requests. So it's mm-hmm. also something that you, of course, you have a certain strategy in mind. But we also yeah. are, of course often redirected by what's happening and so you can of course have a, a strategy in mind that something should take place in a week but sometimes it just takes longer and sometimes things do you expect to take longer go quicker as long as you have the focus on that these three areas process manufacturing software platform and ecosystem as long as you have those in mind you have goals set for those yeah then i think we're quite set up and that is something that we you know it's like the chicken in the egg if there's no content there will be no hardware there's no hardware there will be no content and that is something that we are continuously trying to balance
0: exactly yeah that's true
1: the world's best known investor and wall street expert warren buffett once said wall street is the only place that people ride to in a rolls royce to get advice from those who take the subway Download Buy, Hold, Sell today on the Evergreen Podcast Network or your favorite podcast channel.
0: Talking about, well, kind of switching to go-to-market, and you said that the ecosystem is super important for your organization. How did it all start? It? I mean, when did you start to see your tipping point? And what did you learn from that? We
1: saw tipping point, well, at a certain moment, we made a decision to make a, a laptop prototype with a company called MSI. It's also a big laptop manufacturer. Yeah. And we showed that at CES 2019, just a month before COVID hit. And that's actually where we got a lot of traction from laptop manufacturers, but also from Microsoft and Intel that are actively supporting us to push this technology to their customers. And by that way, we had a lot of credibility yeah? because, of course, you are a small company and we, of course, make big claims, but you have to have that credibility for a big organization like Azure to make a decision to bring a product to market. And I think where it really helped was that we were backed by Microsoft and Intel that also said, this is a technology that we see as a very promising technology for future products. And that was actually for us a tipping point and really to see where we could start it with Azure on this first project.
0: Yeah, it's interesting to see, like, well, again, it's a timing thing, the timing and location where things can come <laughs> together. And imagine you wouldn't have been there.
1: No, well, I can tell you a funny story. We were at the booth with M- at MSI and yeah, we had a lot of nice presents. And someone from Microsoft actually had set up a meeting with a big executive of Acer. And a colleague of mine and I said, well, you know, we're busy, should we go? Because, you know, we're not really focusing on them. And we had this Albert Heijn bag with a laptop, really an Albert, Albert Heijn bag with a prototype laptop. You know, let's do the walk. Let's go to Acer. And that changed really our business because in the end, they signed up the agreement and we started. So it's, sometimes it's really from these small things that can change drastically how you operate as a company.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's kind of. And how do you plan for that? Exactly. I think it's it's impossible. I mean, you need a bit, a little bit of luck at the end as well. Let me see. like switching to. I've um, talked about my book a couple of times, which is about the ten traits that define remarkable tech companies. So I'm um, typically software companies. But what do you believe? I mean, you're in the world. You know, you talked about authenticity, creativity, and your product is all about creativity at the end and about wow factor and. What do you believe is the secret to create something that is remarkable and lasting?
1: For your vision, I think we have a very strong idea of how a product should look like in the future. That's also sometimes the biggest hurdle. I often have, I have an idea that how it should look in 20 years from now and to bring that back to a daily operation, that sometimes is challenging. But have that bold vision and see if you can translate that bold vision, strategic, short term and mid-term goals. I think that's an important
0: one. Yeah. How long is the vision forward? Is it really 20 years? Well, we always
1: say that we have this idea that at a certain moment that, let's say we would sit on the table and I would not be sure if you're real or not. You know, wow. That's, in my opinion, the, the vision 20 years. So how can you really distinguish if something is real or not? I'm not sure if we, yeah. we have to go there huh? as a society, but that's a, maybe a different topic. But that's where I believe it will happen in the end. Yeah.
0: yeah. The also of course, where initiatives like holograms so are positioned. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, that's, now, that's how is that different or can that blend over time? Yes, it
1: definitely can blend. So we have of course have a certain display technology, but the vision and the idea is all about how to create a the most realistic experience. That's so why I also strongly believe so we capture of course your eyes, but with cameras you can track also emotion, you can also track a lot of other things. And I strongly believe that at a certain moment content will adapt itself to the user. So if you, for example, are watching a movie, why are we always watching the same movie, although you have maybe have a different preference than I? And if you, the device understands the user much better, it will adapt the content, and the user will get even a better experience. Or the user gets an experience every time differently, how he feels at that moment. you know. If you're angry, maybe you have a different perception of a movie than when you're happy or where you're in love, etc. I strongly believe that at a certain moment, we will end up in that form factor don't take well,
0: time but i guess i guess so yeah yeah kind of watching the movie with family and then ending up with three three different stories yeah but yeah i mean i completely agree it's the emotion at the end and how it's being recognized and being able to respond to that is a big way going forward on different levels you know the visual side of it but of course also with content itself even if it's written so exactly yeah, yeah. so what are you most proud of achieving so far are there any anecdotes that you keep, for example, from customers that you yeah, just keep telling other people? No, I
1: think one of the most proud moments I have, and I tell this anecdote to a lot of, to a lot of, to, to a few people I've told them, is that we haven't touched base on that, but we have a bit of a strange history. So we started the company in 2010. We actually sold the company in 2015, and we bought the company back in 2018 or 19, 19. But when we sold the company for founders, we sold the company to a big Chinese company. Of course, we had to inform our employees and that's where we informed them to say, well, we sold the company and part of the transaction funds, we actually shared with our employees. We had no obligation to do that, but we really fe- felt that it was a joint effort. One of the guys in our company said at the service, so I had individual talks with everyone that came in and I said, well, congratulations, you know, you're working here for four years. You have 50 or 60,000 euros, go and spend it. I found that the most exciting thing to do because it's like being Santa Claus. But one of the guys said actually called me up in the evening, he said, Martin, I don't understand. Why didn't you fire me? Because normally when I was at companies that were acquired, they always fired me. And do I now really understand that I get this time of money? I said, yeah, you get this time of money. He was flabbergasted. I think okay. that was the most cool thing in my history that I thought, you know, you can really make a difference for people. If you just, I always say, if you can share, you can multiply. And that was typically.
0: Well said. Yeah. And that it tells again how toxic the world sometimes can be. Exactly. Where people just assume that things will happen. And if they don't happen, then it's like, wow. <laughs> yeah. So but what but was the reason the that you. Uh,
1: Lessons out of that than keeping all your money to yourself, and I don't know what... So it's, it's, yeah, it's not in my character. And I think that's also within our culture of our company. And that's also why... That's what I'm really
0: proud of. Yeah, I can vividly see that. What was the reason why the company got acquired or why did you sell the company? And then the, the other question, of course, is like, why did you buy it back? Oh, then we're probably here for a few hours. Yeah, we were just at a very nice point, we get a
1: really nice offer. I think that was a great time for us to sell the company. Sometimes you get an offer you can't refuse. And that was definitely happening. That company, it was a big Chinese company, would invest, and they have invested about $100 million in the supply chain, which is currently also still up and running. So it was for us a great moment to scale our technology, to get a really big company behind us, and to, to accelerate our vision. And uh, we had a lot of fun for three years, but it was a relatively unknown company, and it was like a chairman. was a really, was a nice guy, but he was really like empire building. But the problem with empires, they sometimes will fall. And that happened so the guy came in financial trouble and we came in financial trouble so before bankruptcy we actually bought the company back of a controlling stake so yeah it's, so it's i can tell you for hours about this really really learningful period. periods but uh, yeah that happened.
0: wow what is the big takeaway from that? three years from when we were part of the chinese or yeah well from this whole experience like if you, uh... if you look at his hindsight
1: yeah, just stick to yourself and I think keep your own mind open. Don't get carried away with others. Just, you know, be realistic find your own goals. And I think be, you know, if you focus, things will work out. So don't panic. That's what I've learned. I'm also not a really stressy guy. If you don't start to panic, there's a lot of people that actually are willing to help you out. This so we had a lot of support from our at that time customers that are actually backed us up with orders and POs and commitments. And you know, then you see that there's a really big joint effort. Willingness to overcome these problems.
0: Yeah. Well, this aligns really nicely with another book that I'm writing at the moment, which is about the big lessons that we can learn from crisis situations. Particularly, a lot of the interviews that I've done so far have been around what did you learn during the COVID crisis? I can continue, of course, with what's currently going on. <laughs> yeah. But what do you believe is what is your takeaway here? Right? Do you have an anecdote whereby this is not only about surviving a crisis but actually coming out stronger from it
1: so for us what i and it goes back to my point what how i see myself as a person as a leader is inform and involve your people so we have always been extremely transparent to our people we actually have said at a certain moment guys you have to ask for bankruptcy because otherwise you are not protected in your salary in your social welfare etc know how it's arranged in the Netherlands so i think And that actually gave us a lot of commitments from all our employees. So they really have trust in the leadership. And also, I think one of the persons left in the whole transition, and everybody was aware that at a certain moment, we were not able to pay salaries that month. But nobody was in panic because we really took them to that journey. And also after the journey, we took them, okay, this is going to happen. We have an investor, et cetera, et cetera. I think that's where I learned that you really trust your people because people trust you if you trust them.
0: Very strong point. Yeah, I've heard some very strong stories around that as well, and it's a continuous theme there. Because with the trust, people go the extra mile. I think it was the story. I think from was it Pandora that he had a similar story CEO from Pandora in, from the early two thousands, where I think he didn't pay his people for nearly two years at that level of trust. So it's, yeah, I don't think that people would have done that, but just people. No, have, but it was just um, staying there together because they were up to something together. And I think it's also at some point, if you ask people up front, you're gonna not going to pay you for two years. No one is going to stay. But if it's like an extra month and well, maybe, well, likely next month, then you're in there together for <laughs> yeah. so long that it can stay on for a while. But they did the same thing. You know, they got, I think the IPO or they got an investment and I think 60% of the investment was payback. So it's, yeah, that's how you get through. Wonderful stories. Well, we're getting towards the end of the interview. I always like to end with you know, some lessons learned. Like, if you would have one advice, a do or and or a don't towards other tech founders, people that aspire to become a tech founder, people yeah, do what that want to learn and, and level up, what would it be? A do or a don't? A don't, I think, is
1: don't exaggerate. Don't believe that you're the next unicorn. Don't I? You know, I sometimes talk to founders. They you know they build an app and they think that are Worth hundred million, you know, stay out of there. I think that's not the way move forward. Right? I think a lot of people have thought that for a long time, but I don't. I, I strongly don't believe in that. As I do, I think focus. Make sure that you understand what you're doing, why you're doing it, and when you're doing things, and do it together. Right? That's an important. one. Make sure that your team is on board and that you are a leader that is authentic. Yeah? I really believe that if you're an authentic guy, that people will follow, and that you also are more to yourself and that you can be a more successful person.
0: Well said. Well, thanks for this. Yeah, thanks. I enjoyed this interview. Thanks for sharing the story. It was a little different from what I normally have. I had a couple of people on my podcast over the last 230 episodes or so that were in the hardware space, but it's always a fascinating one. Yeah, where can people go to find out more about Dimenko or to connect with you and say hi? Well, definitely at LinkedIn. Tomar Toges on LinkedIn can definitely reach out
1: and at our website ww.demanco.eu. You can find all kind of information about our technology, about our customers, products, etc.
0: Yeah. Good. Thank you very much. And good luck in the next five years again. Exactly, exactly. Thanks. Perfect. Pleasure. And this ends my conversation with Martin. And I hope you enjoyed it. And if so, please leave a review on iTunes. And if it inspired you, please share it with other tech entrepreneurs on the mission that you have in your network. Other than that, thank you for tuning into this podcast. I had the honor to speak to Martin Tobias, founder and CEO of Dimenco. As said, the goal that I have in this podcast is twofold. Firstly, to inspire new forms of value creation by sharing compelling ideas and stories about the potential we can unlock when technology and people blend in the right way. And secondly, share experiences from tech entrepreneurs like you about what is required to create a remarkable software business and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so. Before I close, I have two more comments to make. If you know other tech entrepreneurs on a mission that have a story worth sharing, please send me an email at ton.dobby at valueinspiration.com. Building the momentum all starts with revealing the ideas. And that starts with you. And if you want to know more about my book or you're interested in joining the Remarkable Effect tribe, please visit my website at www.valueinspiration.com. Thanks for tuning in. And you could do me a big favor by rating the podcast on iTunes or provide me with your feedback directly. I'll see you shortly on a new episode. Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis.